Greetings to all and welcome to DataFem, where we engage you with stories of how innovators across the globe are using data to achieve new heights in their respective industries. I'm Danielle, founder of Decayo Data, and I have recently returned from our studio conference 2020, which was held in San Francisco this past week. So I decided to do something a little bit different with this episode. It's going to be no frills, no advertisements, no guests, and not even any music this time, because I have a few things that I learned from the conference that I came into not even thinking about. And I think that sharing these things with you might inspire you, hopefully, to attend our studio conference 2021 in Orlando, or just to share your opinions with me on Twitter or LinkedIn, Decayo Data, you know the drill. Um, whether you agree or disagree, let's get the conversation going. So when I first started researching how to make a good podcast, I found a lot of pieces of advice that were interesting. And the one that stuck with me the most was the fact that audiences typically prefer for a podcast host to have consistency um, in the format of their podcast. And what that means is if you have multiple guests on your podcast every week, keep it that way. If you have one guest, keep it that way. If you're instructional, keep it that way. And if you're a solo podcast, keep it that way. Well, I've never been good at following the rules. Sometimes it's nice to switch things up. Number one, if you've been to a lot of conferences with the prime goal of networking, you will know that it can be a pretty exhausting experience. But it doesn't have to be. I usually attend with the sole goal of networking and just listen to the sessions one or two that I find completely captivating. What I found from networking at conferences is that it's hard to find that balance between being yourself and truly connecting and being the professional that your business wants you to be. Obviously, having objectives helps with that. You know, why are you going into every conversation? Are you looking for funding? Are you looking for knowledge? Or perhaps you're looking for clients. I mean, you could be looking for a variety of things. It's my belief that making a human connection over grilled cheese or traveling or long distance running really goes a long way um, and isn't in fact a waste of time. The problem is there are different ways to interact over these topics um, and sometimes it's hard to know how to really get into the good graces of the people you're trying to impress. So for me, I realized, though I've never put it into words until now, that I have a certain strategy when I go to conferences and especially when I'm walking around booths like I was at our studio conference to get sponsorships or explain what I'm doing. Often the best way to do things is to plan to work the room more than once. So what I mean by that is you dip your toes in Work the room once how they expect you to work it, which is normally 
um, as a woman of color to go around and just take in the information that other people at the booth are already asking. You can get a pretty good pitch just standing there and then, you know, introduce yourself, say you run a podcast and move on. Now, I kind of had a system that I'd worked into my strategy where I had these custom-made business cards-ish featuring the art that I make in our studio uh, mixed medium that I paint over it with nail polish, but um, I have those cards and they haven't been signed yet because I wanted to make um, custom signatures to the people that I met. First round, I would work the room, walk around, meet all the sponsors, hear what they say um, on their own terms. And then I would promise to come back with my card. So that's already a built-in kind of excuse to come back that they're, expe that they're expecting. And when I would come back, I would bring the card and I would start talking just fully as me. Edgy, somewhat fatal femme who likes true crime podcasts and lives in New Orleans. You know, they did not know about that about me the first time that I circled the room. But once they knew that I was coming back, they had a second to get used to, well, who really is this girl? You gotta make people curious about who you really are because most of the time they're too nervous and caught up in their own goals to really care. And that can be hard if you're not, you know, somebody that they expect to see value in, to put it bluntly. Well, honestly, I had a lot of fun at all the booths. I was able to engage a bunch of people about, you know, my podcasting, what I learned from listening to true crime. I have a whole new list of podcasts to listen to um, because everybody's into true crime. And, you know, found out that one person at the booth is a synchronized swimmer. Um, second time I went back, I was asking, you know, what it's like to be at the Olympics during the age of Tinder, you know, all these fine pickings, you know, and you're stuck there. Um, she gave me a somewhat diplomatic answer, but number two, there's always a room within any large event where decisions are being made about the future of large pools of money. And I hate to say it, but people like me, as in women of color, are rarely in that room. They may be off doing something else, equally powerful, of course, but where the real transactions that affect all of our futures in an industry are being made over rounds of drinks. And that's a formula that's hard to break into. But there are gems in the space who will pull you through. I don't think I was in that room this time at our studio because I'm... A podcaster or a media person or even because my voice matters in the space of AI. Now I'm not saying it doesn't, it probably does, but then why weren't a million women who are doing way more than I am, why haven't they been in that room before? You know, um, I guess I was in the room because I happened to impress the right person who 
genuinely doesn't care that my appearance in a corporate space has traditionally been seen as other or worse, a liability. So the question is, how should I view that? Should I be impressed by that? Should I be impressed by someone's willingness to forgo the fact that I am not typically somebody you would see in that particular space and might make people uncomfortable? I don't know. I actually think yes. I think that's impressive because anytime that someone thinks outside the box, anytime that somebody pulls somebody into a room where they typically haven't belonged without thought of consequences in terms of people talking less, people being on edge. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty fantastic. Um, I can't promise that my sisters in tech will be given such a rare and kind of confusing opportunity anytime soon. It's kind of a fluke chance, honestly. But I do hope that because I was able to take up space after being invited into a room where girls like me aren't ever seen, that I've made a step forward for womankind. I'm not sure if this is how I should be looking at this. It's a sensitive topic. I mean, I spent a lot of hours feeling guilty for being apart from my fellow women while simultaneously asking, why am I in this room? Why am I here? What can I offer? Am I bothering anybody? Um, I think that we have to redefine conventions in this way. And I think it's hard for minority women to be the first to do that. Um, I think that it often does have to happen that you fall into a situation that gives you that space in the room. And then, you know, the challenge is not asking for too long why you're in the room and just going with it, doing the best you can. When I say redefining conversations, I mean that there are several buzzwords out in the industry that could be reframed to be more inclusive. So you've heard of target audience, I'm sure. You know, this is why AI can be so helpful for marketers because um, an algorithm can constantly survey your audience at large and find the segments that would be most useful to you. The thing is I've always believed, and this is something I came up with when I was doing my first business, is that it's not really about target audience, it's more about target experience. You know, what do you want to provide and then let them choose if the experience is right for them. Now, going back to my little narrative, that's pretty, that's pretty clear um, that target audience isn't the same as target experience. We assume that there's a lot in common between our target audience, you know? Lots of males like to drink a lot of alcohol, like to drink a lot of vodka, you know, shoot back shots, all that stuff. How would you know that I actually love doing all that thing? You know, I love shooting back shots. I love my grapefruit vodkas and I love hanging out at bars for hours on end and having conversations. I'm usually the last one in the bar and I don't apologize for that, but I don't look like the typical person that you would see doing that comfortably. You know, there's nothing wrong with me. 
I just like my liquor. So in that case, if somebody had been thinking about a target audience, of course I wouldn't be in the room where the decisions are being made. Of course not. I would be off, you know, doing things that are more typical for a woman of my stature. But when you think about a target experience, do you want to be in a room with a bunch of men networking over big ideas in AI? Yeah, I do. I honestly do. So in that case, in my case, the target experience is opened up to anyone who likes doing the same things as one another, because those people are the ones who should be networking together, who should be talking to one another. Target audience is still relevant because it is important to know who is most likely to show up in the room. But you can't really decide who your audience is. You can decide what the experience you're trying to provide is and then let people decide if they want to be in the audience. So if you think about that, you're taking away the need to control something you can't control and putting ultimate power into what you can control so that others know where to go. Another thing that I would like to reframe is barriers to entry. Those are real. And they're not just about race or gender um, or socioeconomic status. Though those are big barriers to entry in some circles for sure. And when we experience these barriers in our own ways, it leads us to ask questions. Like, how can we take away these societal trends that are getting in the way of innovation? One person that I met at our studio conference who is doing a lot to combat what I like to call barriers to efficiency is my friend Matt. He is the founder and CEO of Business Science University. And what he's doing is he's developing these courses online that are meant to have somebody come in, take the course, and within six months be ready to apply it to their business. Um, and I think that's really cool because a lot of the boot camps that you see will teach you the syntax for years on end, and you won't even get the chance to apply it to a project. Um, it's really a cool idea to go in with a goal in mind already to constantly work into your knowledge of coding. Um, I think that that's a really unique business model that will improve efficiency um, in the space just because the motivation will be there more. And I wish that that existed when I was learning to code right from the get-go. Because it's very efficient to learn to code for the exact reason that you need to. And I hope to see that business model appearing more and more. Another thing that I want to quickly address is that I do most of my business marketing online. And that works really well a lot of the time because, you know, you filter out all of the minutiae. You only interact with who you want to. And you can do it from your pajamas in your bed without having to move. Sometimes with the TV on. You know, it's a great life. But the thing is... There are things about being in a physical space that actually can teach you about interactions that are going on or could go on that you didn't know about. And what I mean by that is when I was walking around to all the sponsor booths um, asking 
if they'd be interested in sponsoring episodes of Data Femme that relate to their um, own industry. I realized that when I was on the other side of the room, I was talking to potential guests. Um, for example, one of the sponsors of our studio is really into bioinformatics and um, pharmaceuticals. And then I talked to somebody on the other side of the room who's really into studying bioinformatics and is really interested in talking about her research. So what I was able to do is bring left bank to right bank in the middle of the room and watch them talk to one another and see basically here's this compelling woman who a sponsor standing at his booth might not have met. These are the type of people he wants to invest in to, you know, change the way that the industry is working, increase diversity, um, share individual opinions and stories. And, you know, from her perspective, it's like, wow, there are people who I never would have thought of that might be really interested in what I have to do and have a real say in the market. And so when I brought those two people together physically that I wouldn't have even connected to each other, I had a whole new business model. There should be a little more interaction, maybe not interaction as in speaking to one another per se, but there should be a conscious relationship between sponsors of the podcast and guests in the sense that sponsors could be aware of who they are sponsoring to be on the podcast and, you know, select these people. Um, and in the very least, guests could suggest sponsors that already believe in them and now just have to take a little extra step and believe in me. You know, sponsors can say, well, I really like what you're doing. Like, here is somebody that I would be interested in sponsoring to be on your podcast to hear them talk and, you know, get um, some traction back to us. I wouldn't have really viewed that this way if I hadn't had a whole chessboard of a room where I could see, you know, square one, square two. Um, now I'm thinking about it all the time and I don't need that visual aid. But the whole idea wouldn't have been there had I not. And the last thing, I learned a lot about humanity. Just a lot about humanity at this conference. When you get to where people are and you talk about what's most important to them, you keep them in the room longer. You keep them around longer. Because honestly, talking about business, especially when you've done it all day, is work when you're at the bar after hours. And a lot of times people just want to talk about their stories and what's important to them. And I guess I got a lot of vulnerability out of people. Um, I was able to really talk about what I see in the tech industry, all the biases, all the potential, you know, it doesn't always have to be negative. Um, and I really was able to share with a variety of people how powerful data is because data numbers make us really face the truths about the world we're in 
and we can't fudge around them as much as people try. Um, you know, if I hear from a study done um, by the Institute of Women and Ethnic Studies in New Orleans, if I hear that a certain percentage of teenage girls from the age of 10 to 13 are feeling unloved at home, I mean, <laughs> you can't unknow a stat like that. Um, and dealing with data all the time makes me want to change my outlook on how I view my own life. Like, for example, if something happened to me, abuse happened to me, now what am I going to do about it? That's the whole thing about seeing a fact, but seeing it for what it is. It's a fact. The important thing is what we decide to do about it, how we decide to apply it, how we decide to analyze it, how we decide to interpret it with one another. You know, knowing your facts opens up a lot of opportunity and a lot of people think that it's restricting, but it isn't. It's actually very freeing to know what you're dealing with. Um, and I think that it can be hard when a certain fact means a lot of things to different people. You have to realize everybody is coming at data. Everybody is coming at life with their own perspectives, their own experiences. And we all feel very, very strong about our experiences and the way that we should be treated because of them. You know, I mean, it's the way we've lived is linear. Um, and we take these experiences with us on the way and, you know, the more we live with them, the more that we expect certain things from the world when really forgiveness is what is the most important thing. Um, you have to forgive people for not reading your mind and you have to forgive people for what they do, especially if it isn't a reflection of their overall intentions. That's not something that's easy for me. Forgiveness is super hard for me, you know, because the second I forgive someone, it's like, well, they mistreated me and I forgave them. What does that say about me? Well, it says that our experiences aren't everything. Um, just like the data on us isn't everything. It's a start. But... We're expected to expand beyond that. There, there are a lot of conferences coming up in my future um, to women in data science events that I'm really excited for. And um, I'm a media sponsor at AnacondaCon this year after being an attendee last year. And so I think that even if you don't recap your thoughts on live air, it is really important to process what you experience throughout a week of networking, seeing how others view your industry and what you love about it, going over. It's not only about following up, it's about really thinking about the connections you made and how those connections provide value to your network and how you can do the same to them. Honestly, the best relationships to pursue in business and in life are the ones where 
you provide unique value to them and they provide unique value to you. It's tempting to go after the relationships that only provide unique value to you, but that's not sustainable. You know, you have to think about what does this person not have that I may have a hundred percent? What do I not have that I need that they have a hundred percent? Those are the relationships in personal and in business that will last the longest. It's proven theory. I hope to see most of you at our studio conference 2021 in Orlando. You can find more information about the location and the dates of the workshops talks if you go to rstudio.com slash conference. And I think that it goes without saying that if um, one conference can inspire me to get up in front of all of you and have a whole solo episode of musings that don't even cover half of what I'm thinking. It's an experience worth having.